the one thing, Mike, I think you brought out too is, and AARP Fraud Watch Network uses this term all the time. They talk about using the ether on the victim. Introducing the Protectors, inside criminal minds from around the world. Presented by the IAFCI, leaders in safeguarding consumers from fraud and scams for more than 50 years. And now your hosts, International President Mike Carroll and International VP Mark Solomon. Hello, everybody. This is Mike Carroll, International President of the IAFCI. Welcome to today's podcast. I am with Mark Solomon, our International Vice President, all the way from Connecticut. Mark, how are you doing today? Mike, I'm doing great. We got a little different uh, show going on here today, completely different than our uh, previous episodes and looking forward to it. You know, Mark, we were supposed to start a few minutes earlier, but you know what? I got a phone call. It was about my car warranty. You know, I couldn't understand it. You know, I got a 2004 Ford Escape, but they're calling me, telling me that uh, I need, you know, to take care of my uh, car warranty. I, I don't get it. Mike, you didn't fall for it, did you? Come on. Come on. Everybody knows that. I, I get that call five times a day. Please tell me you didn't give any information out. Well, I was thinking about it because the Escape that I have uh, has no uh, wipers, no radio, no brakes. So I could use some help. But uh, you know what, Mark? I'm going to give that car to charity and get a new car. But, you know, I was thinking about that, Mark. Maybe we should start like a little scam of the week, you know, as part of our podcast. There's so many scams out there going on right now. Hey, Mark, if you were to pick a scam of the week right now, where would you go? You know, probably the the one thing I think is uh, business email compromises. You know, it is such a big problem. People receiving emails from uh, somebody they think they know, an attorney that's handling their house sale, or maybe it's a coworker requesting financial documents or information. And like I said, these bad guys are, are so crafty. They'll, they'll research a, a company, a person, they'll find their email online, and they'll just change that email by one letter or one digit. And, you know, we call that a spoofed email. So for me, that's one of the big things because there's hundreds and thousands of dollars being transferred and wired to fraudsters because somebody received an email. They thought it was legitimate. They thought it was from somebody that they knew and they were instructing them to to transfer money. So if there's one thing I could tell the audience here is if you're at work and you get a work email and somebody's telling you, hey, transfer X amount of dollars, don't ever do it based on an email alone. There should be some independent verification that, you know what, talk to that person face-to-face or call them on a known phone number and make sure that this transfer is legitimate and it's supposed to happen. I was going to say, Mark, it actually happened to me. I'm president of an organization at our high school, and our treasurer got an email purportedly from me saying that, hey, you know, we need to send 4500 to this uh, account for the furniture that was ordered. And he almost did it, our treasurer, you know. And the wow. email that came from me was like one number off of my email. Yep. And you know, he did the smart thing, like to prevent these types of scams, this business uh, email compromise scam, call the person, make sure, did you want me to send money to somebody? And that's what right. he did. He called me and says, hey, why do you want me to send this $4,500? I go, that wasn't me. And uh, we stopped the fraud. So we were trying to figure out, well, how would they know who I am and who he is? Well, we go on our high school website under our yep. organization. There's me as the president. There's my email. There's him as the treasurer. And there's his email. And I know these fraudsters have all the time in the world, all day to just troll social media, look for 
people's information, and that, that's how they tried to get us. Hey, Mike, you know, our audience is probably listening here. They're probably waiting to say, who is the next guest on the episode? Well, we're actually switching it up again today. Like I said, the only two people on this episode is going to be Mike and I. And we're going to talk about sort of the, you know, the difficulties of fraud and financial crime investigations, but also some of the funny things that have happened over the years. You know, being a police officer, Mike, you and I both know that, you know, over the years, there's some pretty funny stuff that have happened to us and to some of our coworkers when it comes to investigating some of these crimes. So we figure we share a little lighter side of fraud today. But also talk about some of those scams that are affecting people currently that are in the news that are happening right now that hopefully by listening to this episode, you know, you're like, hey, I'm not going to fall for that. We heard about it on the show, you know? Yeah, you know, I'll bring up one more scam that I think is really tough. We've seen a lot of alerts being here in Chicago, and I know this is a nationwide scam. And hopefully our next podcast, we will have somebody to also talk about it. They call it the ruse burglary, where... Mm -hmm. Somebody comes to the house purporting to be with the village or with the electric company or gas company, and they tell that person there's a problem with your fence on uh, in the back of the house. We need to go back out there and take a look. And while they distract the homeowner, co-conspirators, two or three others uh, come into the house and ransack the house and take all jewelry and cash that they might have and out the front door. And uh, that is a tough one. And it hits the elderly a lot. It's a tough scam. So to get the word out, Somebody comes to the house, you know, I would never let them in. You don't know who it is. And if you're not sure, you could call your local police and say, hey, there's somebody at the door. I don't know who it is. Another thing I learned, Mark, from this type of scam is that if they're with the electric company, do you see a vehicle outside that represents that company? Or do you see a village truck out there? Most of the times you won't. So it's a tough scam that's really very popular now. Yeah, no, you're right. And you know what, Mike, I just thought of another one off the top of my head here is the IRS scam. You know, people are doing their taxes, there's extensions, and all of a sudden, you know, you get a phone call saying, hey, this is so-and-so from the IRS, and we're coming to arrest you because you you didn't pay your taxes or you, you didn't pay enough. I cringe when I hear about these stories that people falling victim to this because the rule number one is the IRS is never going to call you on the phone. They are not going to call you on the phone. They're going to re- you're going to receive a letter, um, and if it's serious, you're going to receive probably a certified letter in the mail from the IRS. And like I said, and you're going to be instructed to contact the IRS office or receive notification. So if anybody out there is listening, you get that phone call, and the IRS, you know, somebody from the IRS is on the phone, just hang up because it's definitely not from the IRS. Yeah, Mark. Same with uh, you get a call for an email from a tech company call from a local police department that there's a warrant for your arrest, uh, get a call from your electric company, you're going to shut off your electricity. All these different types of scams are where they want you to send money, basically, right? Uh, whether yep. it's gift cards or cash. And it always seems, always same thing that's in common with all these scams, it's always an emergency. You got They want you to act quickly. And I think the number one reason is they don't want you to talk to anybody else. They don't want you to yep. think hard about it. They don't want you to talk to anybody else and say, you know, they want you to send the money immediately or something drastic is going to happen to you or a family member. Like the yep. grandchild in trouble scam. We've talked about that one in the past. And, uh, you know, grandchild's in trouble. You need to send money to get them out of jail, but don't tell mom and dad that they're in trouble. Mike, I'm going to give you a real quick quiz here. What is a gift card for? Uh, to be used as a gift? Excellent. Ding, 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 ding. You got it right, Mike. 
But how many people do you pay your utilities with a gift card? No. You know, do you pay the IRS with a gift card? No. You know, we talked about this in previous episodes, but when somebody's asking you to go purchase gift cards and call you back with the numbers or we'll stay on the phone with you, you know, this is not normal behavior. This is not legitimate behavior. So gift cards are meant to be given to your grandkids or your son or daughter, you know, or to a, for a birthday party or graduation. It's not meant to pay your utilities or some debt to the IRS. So anybody telling you to buy a gift card for anything else, it's a fraud. Yeah. Talk about the IFCI. That's one of the things we came up with. We came up with a short one minute stop action video for store clerks, kind of a training video. And we use the grandchild in trouble scam where, you know, grandma gets a call from grandson that they're in trouble and they need money to get out of jail or to pay a hospital bill and they want them to pay with a gift card. So we did a little training for store clerks telling them that, hey, these are some of the things to look for when somebody comes into the store and buys $5,000 worth of gift cards. There are some questions you can ask when they come up to the counter. You're not buying these gift cards because you got a call from the IRS or from a police department, or your grandchild's in trouble, are you? And if they do answer yes, then there's a way to talk them out of that and bring in store management to talk to that person and talk them out of that sale. Absolutely. And, yeah, like I said, we all play a part in preventing fraud. Uh, It's not just up to the police officers or the agents. It's up to the bank investigators, the bank tellers, uh, to the salespersons at these stores. Like I said, we all play a part and can help prevent fraud from happening so if you're out there uh listening to this show like i said we thank you we we enjoy uh giving this information out and giving some advice to the public so if you're enjoying this show please subscribe let us know and uh, any topics you want to hear we're like i said we're going to try and bring you everything that's out there in the world of fraud cyber and financial crime so Hey, Mike, I was thinking about maybe we introduce a new segment to the show here called the Stupid Criminals Award. Um, I read a, a story in the paper not too long ago where a fraudster went in with a counterfeit credit card and purchased a brand new tractor. Loaded the thing up on his pickup, drove off with it, and uh, around a couple hours later, the bank that that card belonged to called and said, hey, um, that card... It must have been counterfeit because the owner wasn't there and didn't make a purchase. So they thought the fraudster got away. The only problem is the fraudster forgot to pick up the key for the tractor after he bought it with the counterfeit credit card. So lo and behold, he called the next morning looking for the key, and they said, come on down, we have it for you. Uh, Unfortunately, the only thing waiting for him was a set of handcuffs because when he walked into the the store, they locked him up, and uh, they uh, eventually got the tractor back as well. So I don't know, Mike, but I think he deserves our first ever Stupid Criminal of the Week Award. What do you think? I like it. I like it. I didn't hear all your story because I was looking at my emails. I got something here from PayPal. Uh, My account's been restricted. So I need to hit this link here. What do you think? No, 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 Mike. Mike, come on. It doesn't look too bad. I mean, you know, it says your PayPal account is temporarily restricted. need to hit this link. But it's coming from service at PayPal.com. So it's not... Not too far off, but uh, uh, I caught on to this one because I don't have an account with PayPal. So <laughs> that's good. That, that, that's that you know of, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that I know of. Yeah. No, yeah. Mike, you, you bring up a great point. And, you know, if there's two things that I'd love to tell the audience this week is listen, take your phone and cover over 
your caller ID screen. And, you know, you never know what an incoming phone call or an incoming email is coming from, who it's coming from. It may look like it's coming from PayPal. The phone might show on the caller ID PayPal, but more often than that, it probably is not from them. And in these cases, it's not. So never trust something incoming, either a phone call or an email where you have to provide personal information or you have to click on a link or an attachment. You know, if you don't know who this is from, don't touch that email. Don't click on it. Uh, don't click on any attachments. Don't respond by providing any personal information. Yeah, I've seen a couple of them out recently regarding the post office where there's a package waiting for you, but in order to get the package, you got to pay 19.95 uh, payment via credit card. And yep. people are giving out their credit card and their uh, expiration date and their three-digit security number. Then they're using that to order other merchandise in that person's name. But, yeah, there's some out there from the post office and UPS and FedEx saying there's a package waiting you need to pay for it in order to yeah, deliver to your house. A very simple link of like, hey, track your package. You know, you get to say, oh, your package is on your way. You know, uh, click on this link to track the package. And all of a sudden you're, you know, you're downloading malware on your computer or ransomware. So um, That's what I was going to ask you, Mark. That's the other part of it, right? Like you just said, you know, you hit that link and boom, there's something on your computer. Like you said, some type of ransomware or something and it's impossible to get corrected. Yeah, we call it like a Trojan horse uh, where basically you're allowing malware onto your system by clicking on that link or an attachment you think it's legitimate and then all of a sudden that malware just releases into your computer and it could do anything from stealing information keystroke viruses where you could see everything that you're typing and they'll focus in on account numbers and passwords or screen names and passwords and that's how they get you or like I said, the worst case scenario, you get some ransomware and it basically turns your computer into a paperweight and, and you can't access anything on your computer and you're forced to pay a ransom or get yourself a new computer. So one day I was bored, I, I was sitting home and I got a call from the World Wide Web Police, if you know, www that you type in for your uh, addresses. And they said it was the worldwide police and I, my computer was sending out spam across the world and they wanted me to click on uh, or go to their web link and they'll show me where all the spam is going from my computer. So I played along with them for a little bit until I got tired. But, you know, Mike, I wanted to kind of switch and go into a different segment here is we talked about fraud and uh, cyber crimes and how stressful and how difficult these things are as an investigator, but over the years, uh, you know, we've had some funny things happen during our investigations. I figured this would be a cool time to share with the, our audience, some of the, the lighter side of fraud. And Mike, you, you mentioned your wife and, and there's a great story uh, about an investigation where your wife got involved. So uh, why don't you uh, tell the audience about that? Sure, Mark. <laughs> uh, you know, I was a U.S. Postal Inspector for 29 years and Part of my responsibility to investigate identity theft and mail theft and uh, had a case with another inspector, joint case we worked together where somebody was applying for credit in other true individuals' names. And we found out they were using a vacant apartment on the south side of Chicago. So we worked with the credit card company. They sent, you know, the victim called us, hey, they applied for a credit card in my name. We called the credit card company. They sent us the credit card. We went out to the address and we put the credit card right in the mailbox. And we were just going to do surveillance until the bag person showed up and picked it up, and then we were going to arrest them. So in the meantime, I'm sitting across the street from this uh, apartment building, and uh, my wife had called, and, you know, what, what, what are you doing? And, and you know, I'm, out, I'm working. <laughs> um, 
well, your daughter's got a softball game, and we're going to be heading home shortly. And I'm like, okay, that's great, you know. So I'm watching the building, and sure enough, car pulls up, and guy gets out of the car, and he's looking both ways. So, you know, it's probably the guy. Game plan was let him go into the building, get the credit card, come out, get back to his car, and then we'll approach the vehicle. Well, one of the other inspectors, a little more aggressive, he went into the apartment building, came out. The inspector came out and said, police freeze, and the guy takes off running down uh, 111th Street. Never forget. And so I was across the street in the cemetery, and I pull out on 111th, and there's a car in front of me. And I'm looking, man, that car looks familiar. Well, it was my wife. And my daughter was in the back seat and yelling at my wife, Ma, get out of the way. Dad's trying to get around you. And, and I had the lights and sirens on and everything. So I, we get around her, and uh, we end up catching the guy and, and arresting him. And it was a pretty funny story. I don't know, Mike. All my funny stories have to do with me. You know, I, I was supposed to be a good investigator, but I always seem to have funny things happen to me. So we were doing a surveillance uh, with the Secret Service on an ATM skimming device at a drive-up ATM. And uh, that morning, I'd gotten a brand new car. I was driving a Ford Taurus, and uh, my chief gave me a Jeep Cherokee to use. So I was all excited. We're setting up the surveillance, and around uh, two hours into it, here comes the suspect to remove the skimming devices off the ATM. And uh, the uh, suspect spots one of the cops uh, nearby and takes off running. So I'm in my Jeep. I'm with the Secret Service boss, and we go flying down around the back of the bank. I get up alongside of him, yelling, stop, police. And and I, uh, I slammed on the brakes, and I put my windshield wiper in park and bailed out of the car. Uh-oh. Yeah, I put the windshield wiper in park. You see, in the Ford Taurus, the shift gear was uh, at the steering wheel, but on my new brand-new Jeep Cherokee, it was down between the two seats. And, well, I got credited with the first drone arrest in Connecticut. Uh, the vehicle took off after the suspect unmanned and chased the suspect for around 500 yards until the vehicle cut him off, and he couldn't run any further. And uh, I wound up running into an intersection, a uh, four-lane intersection, to uh, retrieve my vehicle that kept uh, going and going. So, um, you know, that was a very scary moment for me. But we didn't hit anybody, and we didn't hit any cars, and uh, we got the bad guys. So, nice. But I, I don't recommend doing that in the future. Nah, <laughs> so. Nah. So, Mike, I know we talked about phone calls, we've talked about emails, but can you tell us a little bit about some of the text messages scams that are out there as well? And Mark, I've seen this one, and it's pretty good. It's, uh, you know, in fact, I, I made a copy of one off my phone that I got, and it said, your card has been charged with $763 in charges, and uh, they give you like an ID number, and they tell you what you ordered, and, uh, you know, if you didn't place this order, here's a number to call. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's a good one. You know, a lot of people call that number and they're, they're, they would tell them, yes, uh, that in order to, you know, cancel and get a refund, you're going to have to pay forty nine ninety five or something to that effect. Or provide your credit card number. Again, like we talked about PayPal, fraud scam going on. You, they want you to give your credit card number and your expiration date and your three-digit security so they could use that to order merchandise themselves. It's a good one out there. It looks pretty legit, but again, you got to be aware. You know, if you didn't order anything from Amazon, I, I would just avoid this, click it, and get rid of it. 
Yeah, and you could always, listen, if you have an Amazon account, you could call the number in the back of your card to see if this supposed text message is legit. In this case, obviously it wasn't, but, you know, don't respond to that text. Don't call a phone number that shows up in the text message. Don't click on any attachments or anything if they send you, um, you know, a document or anything like that. The one thing, Mike, I think you brought out too is, and AARP Fraud Watch Network uses this term all the time. They talk about using the ether on the victim. And it's usually something very good is about to happen to you or something very bad has happened to you. And they're trying to get you to kind of lose your objectivity and sensibility because you either feel great euphoria or you feel great stress because uh, the IRS is coming to get you or there was fraud on your account. And they're just trying to get you away from using common sense when most of us would sit there and say, hey, this is suspicious, this isn't right. But they put you on your heels and you start doing things that you would normally wouldn't do. So, you know, take a step back, take a deep breath and, you know, think of this is are they pushing me to do something that is going to get me in trouble? Right, exactly. And like was mentioned, they want you to move fast. They always like I said, it's always an emergency. You need to act now because, again, like you said, they don't want you to take a step back and think about it. They don't want you to call your neighbor or family member to find out it is a scam. Yep. You know, so they always ask you, you know, need to move quick on this, you know, or your grandson's going to, something's going to happen if you don't go out and get those gift cards right away. Yep. You know, there's something to be said about being slow and steady, you know, wins the race here. And like I said, the fraudsters are trying to get you to react quickly. So if you don't, you're going to be better off and probably going to avoid being a victim. Yeah, I had a neighbor once that said they got a call from the local police department that there was a warrant for his arrest, and he wanted to know if it was legit. And, you know, in order to avoid the warrant, he had to pay nineteen ninety five or something to that effect, uh, a fee in order to squash the warrant. And I'm like, you know, I don't think local police are going to call you and tell you they have a warrant for your arrest. They're just going to show up, and they're not going to say, hey, we're going to be over at 5 o'clock because they're going to come and arrest you. Uh, yeah. That doesn't happen that way. Yeah, it's almost like having a, a super sale on arrest warrants. You know, pay nineteen ninety five and get rid of your arrest warrant, and that isn't how it happens. The only way you get rid of your arrest warrant is you get arrested and go to court. So, you know, hopefully, you know, we're giving some information out there to our audience to take back with them and apply in their everyday lives, you know. And, and again, we really appreciate the support we're getting from our audience. We love being here and talking about fraud and cyber crimes and how to avoid being a victim. I mean, to Mike and I, this means everything. If we could prevent people from falling into these pitfalls, then uh, it is completely worth it. You're right, Mark. So, Mike, you know, we talk a lot about seniors being targeted for frauds and scams, but, you know, there is a big population in society that's being targeted, and it's probably not mentioned enough, and that's our, our teenagers and college students. Can you tell us about some of the scams that are out there that are targeting them? You're right, Mark. I think some of the scams that are out there we've already talked about on prior episodes, like the debit card scam or the slang word cranking cards where kids, young kids give their debit card and PIN number to somebody that puts money in their account you know they get caught up in that scam so that that one is never give up your debit card and pin number to anybody or your your user information or your password of any of your bank accounts never give that up to anybody the other part of that scam is don't allow somebody to give you a check to put in your account if you don't know who it's coming from 
Right. You know, a lot of times a check is given to somebody to put in their account and ends up the check is deposited and then the funds are withdrawn before the check comes back. No good. But that's one of many scams out there targeting young kids and college kids. Uh, like we talked about the tax scam, you know, or the IRS, another one, the tech support scams, uh, student loans and scholarship scams. They apply for a loan. They got to pay an upfront fee. Mm-hmm. Right. And they don't get anything. Yep. Uh, identity theft with big with college kids. You got to keep an eye on their identity. That's a big one. Um, another big scam is the behavior blackmail scam where college kids are uh, tricked or enticed to send a photo on themselves in a compromising position or something to that effect to a person that they're that they're talking to and then they'll get an email later on from that person's parent saying, you're communicating with my daughter who's underage, and I'm going to expose you. I'm going to expose these pictures. I'm going to post them all over the place unless you send me some money. And now there's a ransom going on. They have to provide funds or else they're going to be exposed. So that behavior of blackmail scam is a big one. you got to know who you're communicating with. Yep. So, Mike, what about some of these job scams that we're hearing about to uh, targeting uh, college students? Yeah, Mark, that's a big one. You know, we came up with a guide through the IEFCI, a student guide on frauds and scams, and this is always a big one, especially this time of year where everybody's graduating from college, right? Not only are they going after uh, students by offering them a job um, or even helping them with the resume, but, you know, they also impersonate an instructor, advisor, or a dean of a college that that student might have attended in order to get their personal information and, and look like they're taking their information for a job offer and they get their name and their date of birth and their social security number. And then they use that to apply for credit in their name. Um, yeah. So you got to be aware of that. Yeah. Like I said, and you know, um, you know, any age, any person could fall victim to these type of frauds and scams. So be vigilant out there. I want to thank our audience once again for tuning in. We are the International Association of Financial Crimes Investigators. And uh, Mike, I'm going to turn things over to you to say uh, a final farewell. You are right, Mark. Thank you for everybody for tuning in to today's podcast. Mark and I had a great time. Hey, listen, if you're an IFCI member and you have a, a scam that you want to talk about, you can find Mark and I in the IFCI directory. Mike Carroll, that's Mark Solomon. I'm in Chicago. He's in Connecticut. We really enjoy you being a subscriber to our podcast. We're growing, and thanks to our subscribers, we are excited. We are looking forward to our future shows with you. And I'm Mike Carroll here in Chicago. And from Connecticut, I'm Mark Solomon. Remember, stay safe and stay scam-free. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Remember, as you join the fight to protect our citizens, you're not alone. With more than 6,500 members from around the world, the men and women of the IAFCI are standing together with you. To learn more or to join the IAFCI, please visit our website at www.iafci.org. The Protectors Podcast is produced by Modified Media and is available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. The hosts and guest opinions are their own and do not reflect those of management, employers, or sponsors. Listeners are encouraged to contact law enforcement if they suspect being a victim of a crime.